0: Well, good morning. Good morning. good morning, good morning, welcome to session two of our time uh, of the series we're doing, A Journey Through the Bible. Uh, this is the, the last session that we'll have for Deuteronomy. And so before I begin, let me open us up in prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for being a holy father, a good father, Lord. Thank you for your word. Help us and teach us to meditate upon it both day and night. Help us to learn it, to have it be imprinted upon our heart. Help us to believe it more and more each day, not for ourselves, not to grow in our knowledge of you, but also in our love in you, more importantly, our love for you and our love for others, so that we may be the royal priesthood that you've called us to be, not just for your people, but for those who do not know you yet. So we thank you for the book of Deuteronomy, Lord, and during this time that we have with one another, in your name, we know that you're in our presence, um, by the power of the Holy Spirit, Lord, may we be transformed so we don't leave this schoolhouse the way we came, but burning bright in your image and drawing near to you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. <laughs> All righty. Well, two things I wanted to uh, begin with. Last week, there was two great questions. One was how many people entered into uh, the nation of Israel, uh, excuse me, the promised land um, after Moses' death when they crossed the Jordan River, being led by Joshua. I thought that would be an easy, easy finding, and it was not. There's a ton of different <laughs> beliefs because the Bible isn't definitive on it, which is fine. Uh, but roughly a million people. Um, <laughs> I think what was registered by one commentator, they said seven hundred fifty thousand, but that was just the men that was registered of the of the household. So if we just make that a third, multiplying it, it it's over a million. A million.
1: generation that went in versus the first. Seventh
0: generation
1: second generation the first
0: yes the second generation yeah the generation that came out we mm-hmm. um no and i think we'll touch on that in numbers so put that in the back pocket and then you asked about the fruits of the spirit yes ma'am Yes. Yeah, so yeah you can look up other places and they'll tell you all a different number but roughly 1.5 million a million somewhere around there but don't get fixated on it it's easy to but please don't Exactly. Some people have seven kids or nine kids like Shay Gregory and some only have one like me. So <laughs> to the glory of God. Shay's um, up to nine. I told him he's got to hit double digits. He can't quit at just single digits. Um, and then you asked about the fruits of the spirit. And so when we look at the fruits of the spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, um, self-control. And we look at them in Deuteronomy. I think we can see every single one of them to either... Um, the teachings of Moses, um, helping them or teaching them to remember God's goodness and the covenant that they have with Him. And so when we look at the fruits of the Spirit as a lens, when looking at Deuteronomy, we can see each one. And while Pentecost hadn't come, the Holy Spirit hadn't fallen on all people, still moving within the nation of Israel. And so we can see either joy, you know, when they first crossed the Red Sea, or the joy that they're being called to because of, of God's faithfulness and His goodness towards them. Um, so that was a good question. Thank you for asking that last week. So to begin, uh, just a little recap. Uh, Deuteronomy is the fifth book of the Pentateuch, meaning five scrolls. Um, it's also known as the law, one of the books of the Law of Moses. Um, and so far, we've learned that Deuteronomy is a very instructive, uh, repetitive, and programmatic book. It's a, a collection of sermons given by Moses to the nation of Israel before they crossed the Jordan River. Into the promised land. And so he's calling them to faithfulness, to covenant, faithfulness to the covenant that um, he has been given from God to the nation of Israel. And so in the book of Deuteronomy, we also see how this uh, mankind's sinful nature is magnified. Um, It reveals how time and time again they have forsaken God, but how faithful God is to his people. And so he's, he's continually calling them to remember the goodness of God. He's calling them to have an allegiance to God and to, to forsake all other idols, all other um, pagan customs, because they're supposed to be holy just as God is holy. And so they're supposed to live in a certain way that God wants them to. And so... Uh, what it's rooted in is that we can see from Exodus 19 can kind of be a summary, a preface for the book of Deuteronomy. And in it, we see God speaking to the nation of Israel before he's given him this covenant. Um, he says to Moses, If you will indeed obey my voice and keep my, com- uh, my, my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples, for all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. And so with looking at that, if you were to have that verse right next to you, or to your Bible, as you read through the whole book of Deuteronomy, you can see that it's, all, it's attached. It's rooted to this verse. It's a great um, kind of compass for how you can not only read Deuteronomy, but also for the nation of Israel at this time. How are they supposed to live in relationship with God? How are they supposed to love God? How are they supposed to be in relationship with their neighbor? How are they supposed to love their neighbor? Well, we can see through the book of Deuteronomy that this is what uh, Moses is teaching them and instructing them and calling them to remember. And so the outline for today's class, um, just like last week, we'll do a little bit of review. I'll kind of set the stage, lay the context for the book of Deuteronomy. Um, we'll look at the outline, not only for, um, from last week, but today. So we'll be looking at the whole outline of the book of Deuteronomy. Uh, we'll have a bit of teaching, as always. This is the Learner's Exchange. So we'll learn something. Um, and then at the end, if you have any questions or comments uh, throughout the teaching, I just ask that you hold them uh, to the very end. I'll allow about 10, 15 minutes um, for us all to just have a good conversation about the text. And so uh, a bit of context and review. Moses, we know, wrote the, uh, the book of Deuteronomy. Not all of it. Spoiler alert. He dies at the end. There's no way he can write it after he's passed. Um, and as I said, he's calling Israel to covenant faithfulness. They're not having, once they go into the promised land, figure this all out on their own. They're not um, going in on their own too. God is with them, but he's calling them to a faithfulness, to the covenant that they've been given. That's going to be their compass on how to be God's chosen people, his royal priesthood in this promised land. Uh, we're in the roughly 13th or 15th century. Moses is giving... Um, these collection of sermons, as we know, the book of Deuteronomy in the plains of Moab, which are on the east side of the Jordan River. Um, and this is Israel's last. They're encamped on the uh, east side of the Jordan River. And it's their last stop before they walk into uh, the promised land. And so why was it written? Well, Israel must have a transformed heart. As Moses, as we saw last week, tells them. you need to circumcise your heart. Cut out the stubbornness, the pride, the uh, the the willingness to easily just forsake God and his covenant. Because when you walk into the promised land, the, the, the land that God has promised you centuries ago, you can't be who you were beforehand. Jesus, when we surrender our life to the Lord, we can't be who we were beforehand. We're a new, we're, it's a new creation, we're a new, we're a new life. So when they walk into the promised land, they can't be who they once were. It's a new chapter in their, in their, in their life, in their story. And so quickly, just to show a map, this is where uh, the nation of Israel um, in Egypt, we can see uh, the Exodus, them crossing uh, the Red Sea. Then at Mount Sinai, where the covenant was given, um, Kadesh Barnea, we'll we'll go over that more in the book of Numbers. Uh, But they they spent some time there. And then over here um, is where the promised land is. And we see, let me show you one more. There we go. Uh, The Jordan River. And so right in here in the plans of Moab is where Moses is giving um, this collection of sermons to the nation of Israel. Mind you, he won't be able to cross it. He's part of the generation that isn't going to be um, welcomed into the promised land. It'll be Joshua. And it's on Mount Nebo, uh, we read in the second to last chapter of Deuteronomy, um, where Moses is allowed to go up on this mountain and see across to the promised land, see where the nation of Israel is going that he is not allowed um, to enter into, and he dies upon that mountain. And so to review for the whole outline of the book of Deuteronomy, um, many of you have study Bibles, and I really recommend it because in study Bibles, they'll have a whole outline for, for each book of the Bible. And so I pulled this one from the ESV study Bible, and it was incredibly helpful for me, not only in reading and doing my research, but always coming back to kind of like a, a, an index to see where I'm at, what's coming next. Um, I don't want to stop reading in the middle of a speech. I want to finish a speech and then when I come back to it, begin another speech, another sermon. And so we see a prologue where Moses is telling Israel um, their historical or their history um, of what has led them to where they're at today, but also geographically where they are and where they're going. And then we see in a collection of these speeches, these uh, sermons, this, this call the covenant faithfulness, but also him teaching them um, the law's over and again, and he repeats. One of the most repeated teachings of Moses is, uh, is the second commandment to, to not carve any idols, to leave those behind. All these pagan nations at that time had their own um, idols, these own gods. In other words, dozens upon dozens in Egypt. The Canaanites had idols, and so he's telling them to forsake it. And then he ends it where we'll go in today today. Um, giving Israel both a blessing and a curse if they don't keep this covenant faithfulness, a blessing if they do and a curse if they don't, um, which I think is kind of incredible where you know, he knew he, he wasn't allowed to walk into the promised land. And so what is he going to give Israel right before they go off? Well, he's gonna give them instruction, but as a, as a good leader, as a, as a good father, he's, he's loving upon them. He's blessing them, hoping that they'll hold fast to this covenant um, that they've been given. And so we went over the first uh, speech last week. We went over, the, went over the first half of the second speech. And so um, in, that, in that second speech that we went over last week, we see a general, uh, Moses going over the general stipulations of this covenant that they have um, with God. We see him bring back up, as I said, the Ten Commandments, uh, the greatest commandment, the Shema, um, the lessons that they've learned. And so he's doing a real just comprehensive um, giving of, excuse me, of the covenant. And so today we find ourselves uh, um, in the portion of that second speech when Moses is giving some finite detailed, some specifics of these stipulations of the covenant. And I won't go into each one, but there's 14 different, um, we'll call it categories, um, aspects of life and worship uh, in this covenant that Moses wants Israel to know Not just for head knowledge, but hey, when you walk into the promised land, this is what you need to hold fast to. This is your rule of life. Uh, It goes from uh, proper worship to, as I said, idolatry, to tithing, to feasts uh, on life, both in in murder, but also um, in childbearing and in birth, Uh, marriage and business. Many of these we can look at in a 21st century context and see the goodness of God and how God views tithing, how he views marriage, how he views justice. Um, because God is, God hasn't changed. God is the same. While we're not under the law of the Old Testament, we can see from the New Testament how Jesus was repeating a lot of this in his teachings. And so explicitly in this speech, um, Moses isn't leaving any room for a gray area. He's not leaving any room for, for wiggle room or misinterpretation. He's explicitly teaching them these, these specific stipulations in this second speech of, the, of this covenant that they've been given. And so one of them that I want to um, touch on is the feasts, the three feasts that Moses goes over um, in chapter 16, because a few of these categories, as I said, of the 14 that Moses gives, uh, we can see in our Bibles, there's a whole chapter for it. So he had a lot to say about it. And one of them being the feasts, uh, the first being the Passover, um, which commemorates God's deliverance of e- Israel out of Egypt. Um, and I think there's still spots available. Oh, Rogers, here is there still spots available for the Seder meal? Yes. There were a few, at least when I
1: last checked, but Angela's
0: got the most popular date registry. So we'll be um, we'll be commemorating. We'll be reenacting or uh, or uh, 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 having a Seder, having. having, 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 having a seder. Thank you, thank you. Um, Yes, and Beth's leading it. Uh, yeah, she is. Uh, a Seder meal, which is a traditional meal to, uh, to institute um, a Passover feast. And so I encourage you um, to register to be a part of that as we do that as a church family. But if the spots are filled up, you can still have it with your family um, in your home. Then we see a Feast of Weeks, which commemorates the giving of the law. Um, that God gave to Moses on Mount Sinai, um, where it also includes a feast for the first fruits of the harvest. And then also the Feast of Booths, which commemorates the 40 years of Israel in the wilderness. And so we see through these feasts, not only um, a call to Israel to remember um, the goodness of God and his provisions for them, but it also gives them uh, an opportunity to acknowledge the Lord and to worship the Lord and to have joy in the Lord. Yes, they're in the wilderness and it can be really hot. When we can think about that in the 21st century, like it doesn't sound too uh, too fancy, too good. But in these feasts that we can still celebrate today and um, the church has for centuries, we can spend time feasting in the Lord. Um, the Bible's full of feasts. It's not just laws of, of what you're supposed to do and what you're not supposed to do. No, we, we're called to have joy in the Lord. It's one of the, the fruits of the Spirit, as you brought up last week, to have joy in the Lord. And so these feasts are an opportunity for the people of God, even to this day, to just have, have joy in the Lord, to remember his goodness, to remember his provision, his promises, and the covenants that he's had with his people. So, then at the end of this second speech, we see, as I said, um, towards Moses' um, final days, where he gives a blessing. Occurs in a final exhortation, and we remember from his first speech that powerful exhortation that he gave this witness that he gave to Israel on how they're to live, how they're supposed to be in relationship with God and their neighbor, how they're called to be a royal priesthood. And so, he does the same at the end of this speech, uh, the third speech, this exhortation. It's almost like his last, with, with a, some of his last breaths on earth, he's exhorting them on how to live. And so, he, he tells Israel, When you cross over into the Jordan. Um, I won't be there with you, but you're called to have a ceremony. And at this ceremony, um, you're going to be given, or you're going to sp- uh, reenact, excuse me, not reenact, I'm trying to find the right word, but you're supposed to um institute or to, to have a ceremony to remember the covenant that you have with God. Not only are we doing it now, but I'm telling you how to do it once you walk into the promised land. So you're not just gonna walk into the promised land and go about your business however you see fit. No, you're going to do it the way that the Lord wants you to. So we see from Exodus 27, 6 through 10, 6 through 7 and 10, I'll read this. You shall build an altar to the Lord your God of uncut stones. You shall offer burnt offerings on it to the Lord your God. And you shall sacrifice peace offerings and you shall eat there. And you shall rejoice before the Lord your God. You shall therefore obey the voice of the Lord your God keeping his commandments and his statutes, which I command you today. And so we see right then and there, um, just as when Moses was on top of Mount Sinai, um, even beforehand, how building an altar to the Lord is, is not only man, but the nation of Israel, um, submitting to the Lord, um, to praising him, to, to showing him reverence and the honor that he deserves in a worship setting. And so right when they cross over the Jordan River, this is what they are to do. And so there was two mountains that um, that was supposed to um, be for where Moses was to give a blessing, but also to give a curse. And it was interesting. I noticed in my research that the place where this was supposed to um, where this was going to take place in Shechem is the same place where God made the promise of the land of the promised land to Abraham. So it's almost a full circle where centuries earlier at this one place, God is going to promise uh, this land to Israel, this promised land. This is the exact spot where this ceremony, this call of faithfulness in the promised land is going to take place, Um, which I thought was was incredible that that's the exact place where God called it to be. So here's these two mountains. Um, So I encourage you to go back through and read these final chapters, this third speech, um, where Moses is given this exhortation and this blessing and this prayers. We don't have enough time to go into it today, but we can see not only the heart of Moses, but the heart of God to his people and how he wants them to live, how he wants to be in relationship with them, but it has to be done in this manner. And so this altar that we just saw that Moses was um, telling the nation of Israel um, to this altar, excuse me, to have in Shechem in the promised land with uncut stones. Well, they've done some recent um, excavating at this site. And they have found an altar that is cut out with with uncut stones that has been plastered. And so it's believed to be the exact altar um, that Joshua um, built in the promised land. Um, Which is really interesting. We don't need to hold fast to it and believe it 100%. But it is really cool. As Me and Roy love to talk about biblical archaeology. Of just making the text come alive. Um, And so from that, in his final breath, his final days, we see a succession of that leadership, <clears throat> excuse me, from Moses to Joshua, a commissioning service, um, pretty much handing off the baton to Joshua. We see a song of Moses um, where he's giving them a witness um, of how they are to live. We see the blessing of Moses, um, just as I, I said, a good leader, a good father would do. But in the song of Moses, he's telling them, hey, please, like, don't do this. Don't forsake the Lord. Don't, don't do this. Um, but then wraps it up with a blessing. And then, as I said, he dies upon Mount Nebo, where um, he can see across the Jordan River into the promised land. And so that's a testament to um, how he's not allowed to go in, how, how we as people are so inclined to forsake um, the Lord, his covenant, his, his goodness, his statutes, his laws. But that's how there's repercussions for that. And so that with Moses and that first generation, as you brought up, how they're not um, allowed to walk into the promised land, how God is not to be taken um, lightly. He's not to be um, viewed in a, in a folly sense, but instead to be taken seriously, to, have, to be given reverence and honor and glory. Um, he won't lean upon his laws. And so, from these, these collection of sermons that we've seen, this teaching of Moses, this call to covenant faithfulness, how can we um, receive that? How can we implement that within our lives? Um, because we don't want to just learn these things and then walk out of here just becoming better at Bible trivia or knowing more answers uh, for Jeopardy every night. No, that's not why we want to do this. Instead, there's, a, there's takeaways from this book. Um, one of them being the Shema. This is something that's prayed, uh, has been prayed for, for centuries. It's something that um, we pray within my household, and it's powerful to remember um, how we're to love God and how how the Lord is one. Um, mind you, because at the time when this was given, all gods, all pagan gods, it was uh, polytheistic. They had dozens of they had a god for corn, a god for the river, a god for the sun. I mean, everything. But our God is not like that. And so in the Shema, um, in Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 6, we read, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. So I wasn't able to put the the rest of the verses to verse 9 on there. But it tells Israel to teach teach this to your children upon the generations to come. Bind it on your heart to remember it, not just this prayer, just to remember it like a Bible verse or in Sunday school. No, this is hold fast to this, because if you were to pray this as they did morning and night, well, then you're walking in the Lord at at, at all times of the day. And then um, finally, kind of a practical lesson of what we can take um, from Deuteronomy, these two sessions that we've had to for uh, two together. um, I really wanted to highlight uh, chapter 10 verses 12 to 13. The reason being is this. I'll read it first. And now, Israel, what does the Lord your God require of you but to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways, to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, to keep the commandments and statues of the Lord, which I'm commanding you today for your good. And so with these, um, I challenge you as I challenge myself, what am I going to do with this, this newly acquired knowledge, this newly acquired um, sense of who God is, my uh, relationship with him, my relationship with others, my love for God and love for others. And so I, I, I implore you, please don't keep this newly acquired knowledge to yourself, but share it with others, um, personify it. And so when we look at these um, These highlights that I have um, made for verses 12 to 13 in the the 10th chapter. Um, When it says fear the Lord, we can see um, not only with just fear, but walk in love and serve, how it's repeated in other chapters um, in the book of Deuteronomy, but also other books and also books in the New Testament. And so to fear the Lord, your God, Well, in Proverbs, we also read in Proverbs 9, 10, how we're supposed to fear the Lord or the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. It's the beginning point of wisdom. Once we learn how to fear the Lord, a lot will unravel, a lot more will make sense. And so while that's kind of um, taboo to hear in the 21st century, to fear something, um, well, the, the people of God are called to fear. And so to walk in all of his ways. Well, in Psalm 19:105, 105, I read, your word, God, is a lamp to my feet and a light into my path. Well, that's something that we can read upon every day and we can implement in our lives to, to, to meditate upon God's word both day and night. Letting it be the precursor, the compass of our lives. It dictates how we live our life, where we go, um, how we love and how we are in relationship with one another. And then, of course, to love. Jesus repeated this in Matthew 20, 20, uh, Excuse me, 22. To love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, and to love your neighbor as yourself. And then to serve the Lord. On Colossians 3.23, we read, whatever you do, do your work heartily as for the Lord rather than for man. And so are you serving the Lord with your life or are you serving man or are you serving yourself? And so from uh, both the Shema and then these two verses in chapter 10, um, I challenge you to look at them and see how you can implement them in your lives. How can you share this with others? How can you love God in a deeper manner? How can you love others as a deeper manner? Um, because as we go through the whole Bible, as we make this, this journey through the Bible, um, don't just look at them as individual books of the Bible, but instead as the, the meta narrative story of God's relationship with his people and how we're supposed to be in relationship with him, how we're supposed to love others and love God. So, Deuteronomy is a very repetitive book. We see Moses over and over again repeating himself, calling Israel to covenant faithfulness, but also. Um, to, to not forsake God, how, how sinful we are. He magnifies the sinful nature of mankind, but also how we're supposed to, to kind of push out the noise, the distractions of this world, and just fixate our eyes upon Jesus. Um, and so that is our two sessions of the book of Deuteronomy. Uh, does anybody have any questions, comments, or concerns um, for me? There's great questions last week, so I was really hoping there would be some more this week. So... Gretchen? Oh, okay. You gave me those eyes, like. Well, if I, if you don't mind, I'll put some of you on the spot. What is heart, what is one thing that stuck out to you? Like, I kind of impressed upon your heart, either in your reading or the teachings about the book of Deuteronomy. Well, I mean,
1: I continue to be impressed by the, conti- the repetitive nature of it. Yeah. It's continually saying it over and over. And in the work world, we used to say
0: eight times eight ways. So you had to see it written. You had to hear it. You know, so yeah, it brings that home. That if you don't hear it the first time. Yes. So it again. Yes. Yeah, me and Joy were talking about that before class, how repetitive it is. It's funny. Danielle asked me last week, like, how did class go? And I was like, well, it was really repetitive. She's like, well, so was Moses. So... <laughs> And so, yeah, I have to repeat things. But also, yeah, to your point, I have to reread, repetitively read something over and over again or just say it aloud. Um, so, yeah, we're, we're hard-headed people. We have been for centuries upon centuries. So. Very forgetful. Um, Martin Luther said, I, I uh, repeat the gospel to myself every day because I need it every day. I think that's so true. Um, you know, we can memorize Bible verses in Sunday school as kids but well, we forget them. And I remember getting tons of chocolate bars when I was in Sunday school because I memorized all the Bible verses. But at the end of next month, like I forgot the ones from the previous month. Like I just forget them and forget them. Um, and so it's interesting in the Shema too, it says to write them on your doorposts. Um, and so I actually know of some friends who have, if you were to walk through the front door of their house, on the doorposts of their house are just Bible verses. Or in their home, they have Bible verses um, on the walls. And so at first I was like, that's a little weird. Like, do you not know him? But I get it. Like, just to repeat, like, just to, be, to see it. I know some people write them on the, um, the mirror in their bathrooms when they're brushing their teeth, getting their hair ready. They're reading scripture. So, yeah, we need to be repeated, uh, repeatedly told over and over again of the goodness of God and the covenant that we have with him. What about you, Al? <laughs> what, uh, I'm still
1: absorbed trying To absorb the numbers of people that came over, so I'm trying to rethink all these Moses teachings. He can't speak to a million people, he can't mm-hmm. mm-hmm. there's no microphone that's going to do that. Mm-hmm. And so I'm rethinking, and I guess I got to go back to the study Bible and learn more what the scholars are saying. Mm-hmm. But the anything these sermons you talk about these sermons how many people is he talking to
0: yeah and, and let's just say there's a million people no he can't be well then then how does it work physically yeah and this is kind of trivia but well, that's a good point point. and even if he was able to speak to those million people the way how he kept repeating them he wanted them to repeat it and repeat it like so even if he just spoke to a third of those I mean we don't know exactly how many to your point but go and tell people go and tell yes Yes. Yes, ma'am. The one thing that I thought
1: about and I can identify with, or I know from myself, I could say something, say a series of things, and then when I write it down, I write it differently. Mm. I don't quite. I don't quite write down exactly what I said, and so I'm wondering
0: if Moses. I'm just wondering, if connecting that with Moses, his speaking, and then yeah. he re- wrote these down. Yeah, and so a few of those were a rep- did he, did he, Extra things. Additional things that came to mind. Yeah, no, that's now, a great point. He definitely did elaborate on some of them. Um, and I wouldn't really say added new things to it, but added words to it in a sense just to make it more um, clear for the nation of Israel to, un- uh, to understand. And so while a law that was given in uh, at Mount Sinai may have been concise, in Deuteronomy he, he kind of unravels it more um, to explicitly tell them so that there's no wiggle room, there's no misinterpretation. And would
1: the crowds have had that written out
0: written for them? No? No, I would think. they're written on stone tablets, um, but as far as like on parchment well, that, paper, were they. Um, stone tablet? <laughs> well, the Ten Commandments. Excuse me. I know, right? <laughs> this on some stone tablets, that'd be a, a rocket garden. <laughs> but, do... It probably
1: was written, and there's been a, a big debate about whether people actually wrote on something like paper at this time, and for a long time scholars saw no, they did it, so it must have been transmitted orally. It probably was transmitted orally, but it probably was also written. There's good archaeological evidence mm-hmm. that people did have writing instruments, and they wrote on things besides stone. The Ten Commandments were on stones, but some of this would have been written later. You know, we know that Moses is the attributed author of Deuteronomy, but it's quite clear that, for example, he didn't write like the end. He didn't know <clears> about his own death. Yeah. He, you know, so someone else also contributed to Was Joshua, uh, who kind of helped. So there was probably a, a tradition uh, that developed around Moses' sermons, putting them into writing. You know, these were probably delivered orally. And yeah. He taught elders, and then elders taught people in the wider nation of Israel. Right now. Let me say one few reflections on what you just said. Something came to mind. Yes, please. Uh, by way of application. I remember a professor of mine used to, he used to ask us this question. He would say, Why are there no Hittites on the streets of New York? <laughs> you, Hittites are another ancient Near Eastern people group that do not exist. Anymore. Like most of the people in Canaan and the ancient Near Eastern the Lamont, they don't exist anymore. There are no more Amalekites, there are no more Hittites there are no more Jesuitites but there are the Jewish people and there are a lot of them on the streets of New York today. in Brooklyn especially mm-hmm. um, and I think it's because they did the Shema the practice that flows out of that, talk about these things when you go in, when you, you know, when you go out and come in and you lie down when you sit up, they did that and God was faithful and that's why there are still Jewish, so that's, it's, I mean it's absolutely astounding, all these other ancient people groups no longer exist but the Jews still exist. Mm-hmm. Because they pass these stories down. They develop rituals to preserve them so that their kids would grab on to them. That is a very powerful lesson in that in the church. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is one Amen. way that God continues to ensure that people know about that. Yeah. And the, the extra good news for us is that we have the Holy Spirit in a way that the Holy Spirit wasn't yet working at this time. Because we live on this side of Pentecost. And the Holy Spirit Further corroborating and confirming the goodness of God and all the stories of God's faith in us and our lives. But it, is, it doesn't mean that we don't need to do mm-hmm. what the Quran says we should do, just to be right talking, writing you on door, you know, shaving mm-hmm. uh, them into the back of your head, like I said last week, if you're into that kind of haircut. So.
0: <laughs> yeah. And, yeah, and the food requirements. And the food, the food requirements were, were for that very reason. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. It's mm-hmm. setting them apart. So that they would eat the things that I would eat. Yes. Yeah. It was a very oral tradition back then. Um, I, I find that, too. It's funny. In school, um, they have you take a test. How do you learn best? Orally, visually, kinesthetically, I think it is. Well, I failed, like, everyone, So I need every single one. I can't just do one. So I would have struggled back in, in this time. Um, eight but, times, eight ways. <laughs> yes, eight times, eight ways. And so... Um, so yeah, I try and think about um, how can I teach um, the Shema, let me go to it, um, not only to my daughter, but also um, to those in, in my life, so with Kids Church or also with my high school students. Um, I always try and teach, not verbatimly, but the, the Shema, but just teaching them to love the Lord your God, His love for you over and over and over again. My students are almost getting tired of me. We're wrapping up tonight, uh, nine weeks in First John. I think in First John, he t- says 42 times the word love, either to love your neighbor or to love God. And in small groups last week, one of my boys was like, man, we keep talking about love, love. And of course, a high school boy doesn't want to talk about love. And I was like, no, do, but do you understand? Do you know? Well, don't forsake it. Repeat it. You need to know this. Um, and he, he really opened his eyes. He realized what I was meaning. Um, but think about those in your life, grandkids, your, your, your sons and daughters or nieces and nephews, we're all about to be around family or, or dear loved ones with Easter. Um, maybe read this verbatim, uh, the Shema. Um, but also, if you, if you don't read it verbatimly, like speak this over your family or in conversations, insert it. Um, don't miss out on this opportunity uh, that you may have. And even if you're not with loved ones, doing it over the phone um, or praise God for FaceTime now where we can we can see family members. Um, I encourage you to not miss out on the opportunity. Um, that's coming up just a second t- chance
1: for not doing that when they were younger. Yes. Do it when older.
0: Yes. <coughs> Amen. Amen. If you have breath in your lungs, God still has a purpose for you. And okay. So you use the precious time that you have. Sharon. Um, just to take it to the New Testament. Yes, ma'am. about the law. them on your foreheads.
1: We're talking about the law. hmm
0: The, the black box is. Yeah. Yes. And, and Jesus is going, no, no, that, that's not saying anything. It's in your heart. Yeah. That is where you need to, to love me and to obey me. Mm-hmm. Not by putting some. Yeah, they were missing you know, the point. They were missing the whole point. Yeah.
1: they kept everyone up but
0: they keep what they believe and they do it in public and they keep their time stick over, and that happened yeah. men. and they anyway they were up and they were rock, wrapping around their arms and they had it on their foreheads and the,
1: Yes. The, I think what is as irritating as it is it was also they do what they believe in and they do it in public not ashamed not yeah. ashamed And that's a marvelous thing, actually. Mm -hmm. And as you were speaking, what what came to me was the parallel between they, the first generation, Mm -hmm. didn't get to go because they didn't believe God, they didn't do His commandments, and they stole it their own way. Mm -hmm. And and the New Testament gives His life for us, Mm -hmm. and we're not going to make it through to the promised land if we don't accept Him Mm -hmm. and do
0: what we are mm-hmm. so the parallel. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah, and to your point, Sharon, when Jesus was speaking with Nicodemus about being born again, his question was, well, how do you re-enter through your mother's womb? And he's like, no, you're missing, you're missing the point. So yeah, with the black box, it was funny when I was um, trying to find images for this class. For the second session, tons of my textbooks had, um, I'm blanking on the, the term for it, but the black box with the leather wrapped around their hand to remember their bondage. I didn't know why they did that. For bondage. Okay, and I've never seen this before, mm-hmm. so it was fascinating to me. But. No doubt. You don't see that in New York, too. You see a lot of weird things, but you don't see much of that. So, Patsy. One of the things i really love about this area, and I came from Northern Virginia, and I know New
1: York you can pray, is that people will pray for you.
0: Yes. And, um, my daughter even was worried about um, my grandson wearing a cross mm. at school, mm. and he said, "No, this is what." And he said, and I'm
1: going to wear that cross and he does And but it's awesome. it is good when people. It's a way of saying yes, I am who I am, who? I am, I am following. <laughs> yes. I'll, yes. You know, and I will make I'll, it's a simple statement. I don't think we have to be in anybody's face, but just say. Yes. Yes. So, um
0: so I love South Carolina for that reason. People will speak mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah, if, uh, okay. if I could share a funny story with it. Growing up, we would always sing the Johnny Appleseed song mm-hmm. as Grace, even out in public, even at a Chili's. Um, Can you show us now? I don't know. Yes. Oh, gosh. Don't make me sing it. No, you know it. Oh, the Lord's been good to me. And so I thank the Lord. So we would sing that every meal. Um, and at, uh, at age 12, my mother told me to stop singing it because I couldn't sing. And so I stopped singing. She said, Patrick, you're done singing it for, for now. Sadly, so I didn't sing for years. But um, yeah, many times we would get waitresses that would still try and like dress the table. And be like, no, we're, we're praying right now. But some would, would just hold back um and so yeah it was really awkward for me growing up singing it um but we did get a lot of free kids desserts at some restaurants (laughs) because of it and so now we do it sometimes with jane and she'll sing it really loud and i'm not ashamed of it but i'm like jane like lower your like the whole restaurant we're not praying for the whole restaurant we're just praying for our food so but no it is powerful yeah just praying it loud praying out in public um of course, the Bible says you know don't pray in the straight corners, but that that is to be seen. That is to like for your own self, Lord. By no means, but yeah, praying in public is a powerful witness of, of God. So, yes. And I saw. Was there another hand over here? I was ask, like, so yes.
1: Blessings and curses. Blessings and curses.
0: Talk blessings. for a second about the curses. Um, yeah. So I thought about yeah making a whole slide for it. It is a uh, pretty graphic, um, the curses that Moses has for Israel. Um,
1: why did he choose a different tribe, one for the blessings and one for the curses?
0: That's a good question. Um, I'll be honest. I didn't, I didn't spend time researching that. Um,
1: six for one and six for the other.
0: Yes, and one of them was, uh, was grouped into one of the other. Um, yes. Yes. I'll be honest I was really hoping nobody would ask that question. <laughs> I focused my research on other parts, uh, but I will link up with you uh, next week and I will have an answer and for you.
1: Six, uh, the for <laughs> yes. Um,
0: Roger, do you know was it was that a foretelling of the, of the separation of the kingdoms of the Yeah um, that's what yes, I'm not going to say it a lot. I don't know exactly, so I will research. I got,
1: I got somebody I can ask
0: in a future time. <laughs> okay. Uh, but to your question of, of the blessings and the curses, so the... Um, let me go to it. Last few. No. 29. Here we go. Um, no. Let me find this real quick. I apologize. Chapter
1: 29.
0: Yes. So... Um, so with the blessing and the curses, um, it's interesting that Moses already knows that Israel is going to forsake God in the, in the promised land. So he's kind of already prophesying, like, this is, this is what's going to happen. Sadly, this is what's going to happen, but I'm going to bless you at the end. Um, almost like a take, what you, take, it, take it or leave it. Like, this is how it's going to happen. Um, and so I think it's a testament also when Moses gave that to Israel, how God already knows, how God is omniscient. He, he knows what was, what is, and what is to come. Um... But sadly, also highlighting the sinful nature of mankind. And so with the blessings, um, and it's not just in uh, 27 and 28, but also sort of in, in 29, um, and a little bit in the succession of the leadership, we see these curses. And there's way more curse, time spent talking about the curses than in the blessings. I was like, that's not really compassionate. Like, why is that? But, but no, he's telling them, like, God is not to be, to be reckoned with. He's supposed to be feared. He's supposed to be loved. But he's also supposed to be served. If you do any of that towards yourself or pagan God, here's the curses. Now, if you, if you follow through with them and you abide in them and you keep them, here's the blessings. You will multiply. You will be fruitful in this land. Nations will fear you because you are holy just as I am holy. Um, and so, so, yeah, with, with the curses, um, you know, he's really exhorting to them. Don't do this because this is what's, what's around the corner. If you go down that path, this is what's going to happen. Sadly, um, as we'll see through the journey of the Bible in this series, what is to come? Um, and as we see with many of the prophetic books of um, especially Isaiah, um, Jeremiah, of, the, of these curses that are upon Israel. How did we get here? Well, exactly. You, for, you forsake God and his, and his laws. And so we already knew this was going to come because Moses spoke about it um, in Deuteronomy. So, yeah, it's very graphic, very explicit books. So. <laughs> Anybody else? No? All right. Well, let me close this in prayer. Um, Dearly Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your goodness, Lord. And I pray as we exit this schoolhouse, Lord, help us to be holy just as you are holy. We are, you, you have called us your royal priesthood, um, your children. and I praise you that you've never um, forsaken us. Even we have forsaken you, Lord. Um, help us to walk in your ways, to remember your goodness to love you with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and loving our neighbor as ourselves, Help us to serve you, but also our neighbor, Lord. Lord, I pray as we exit this schoolhouse um, that we just burn brighter for you and for the gospel. It's in your name I pray. Amen. Thank you.